Well, we're in the the final of the sermons in our sermon series, Prophets, Priests, and Kings. We've looked at uh, the lives of several sort of really famous Bible characters uh, over the last couple of weeks. We've done uh, Moses and Aaron, King Saul, uh, Elijah, and then last week we did uh, Eli. Uh, And so today we've got to sort of cap this off with talking about maybe the greatest king that Israel uh, has ever known, and that is the the man David. And so... uh, David is this massive figure in, in the Bible. He's uh, referenced throughout, uh, after he becomes king, he's referenced throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, he's referenced in prophecies, in the books of prophecies. He's talked about in the New Testament, and Jesus is called the son of David. So this guy is, is a pretty important person as far as uh, uh, the bi- biblical narrative. And so what we're going to do is actually pick up the story of David's life uh, a little bit before the passage that was read to us. Uh, in fact, we're going to go back a couple of weeks and remember that Saul is king over Israel. And if you remember about Saul, uh, Saul is already going off the deep end. He wasn't king very long before he let the power go to his head. He started disrespecting God and the prophets and the priests that God has had given the nation of Israel. And so Saul ha- had gone off the deep end. And really what had happened is that God uh, actually orders a change of leadership. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to First cha- uh, Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, is where we're going to pick up the story. If you don't have a Bible, there should actually be a Bible either under your seat or under the seat in front of you that you can follow along uh, if you if you uh, don't trust the, the slide that I put up on the screen. But uh, either way, I want you to see that this is scriptural, that I'm not just making it up. And so so God uh, had, an, had, had Saul anointed king. Saul had done his thing. Uh, he had messed up. And so then God comes to the prophet Samuel and says this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his star, his sons. And what we're going to talk about just very briefly, I like to draw out just little bits of, of nuggets of wisdom for Christians during uh, the stories that we read. And, and when reading this, I come to the realization that there is a problem with the eyes. There is a problem with your and my eyes. And so uh, if you remember the story of Saul that we had talked about, uh, we had described Saul, rather the Bible had described him as being head and shoulders above the rest. Saul had been described uh, as a very attractive man. I, I believe I described him as the Fabio of the Old Testament. Right, he is uh, head and shoulders above the rest, uh, and it actually said that the seer who anointed Saul was impressed by his physical uh, appearances. He looked good, and, and in fact, Scripture actually uses the, the phrase, uh, "Surely this man is the king." Like when when all these people are together, Saul's head and shoulders above the rest, and everyone looked at him and said, "Man, that guy has." He's going to be the leader. Look, he's tall, he's strong, he's handsome, he's got it all going on, he's got it together. And what I find interesting about this uh, is even continuing, continuing in our biblical narrative in, in 1 Samuel 16, when the prophet comes to Jesse and his household and starts looking at the boys, he makes the same mistake that he made with Saul. He looks at the, the kids of Jesse, the, the older sons, uh, and, and he starts to make the same mistake. Well, that one, that oldest boy you got there, he looks really good. He's kind of handsome. He's got it going together. 
And then the voice of the Lord comes to him and says, no, not that one. And what I find is that it, it's really interesting uh, that there, there's a pattern in the Old Testament of these two words, said and saw. And what it starts, it actually it goes throughout the entire of the Old Testament, but it actually starts in the book of Genesis. So this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. So God said, let there be light, and God saw that the light was good. And if you read through the, the first chapter of Genesis, you're going to see this pattern repeating over and over and over again. God saying something, and the resulting something being good. But then something really interesting happens after the fall. The pattern from Genesis 1 actually changes. And what happens is that humans start doing the seeing instead of God. And so you've got uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and you've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil sitting there. And the Bible actually says that Eve saw that the fruit was good for the eating. And so suddenly uh, what we do is the eyes of sinful man start to betray us to sin. And I, I want to break this down for you because not much has changed in the last three and a half thousand years. That our eyes tend to deceive us by focusing on what looks good rather than what God says is good. And this pattern continues over and over and over again. It continues on through the story of Abraham, through the story of Isaac uh, and Jacob. Um, and so we, we get back to, to Samuel, and, and the Lord actually clarifies what he means. And, and perhaps this last sentence is one that is known by a lot of Christians, but in its proper context which is the full weight of Scripture, it actually brings an interesting meaning. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. Talking about the oldest son, he said, he said uh, For the Lord sees not what as man sees, rather he looks on the earth, because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Throughout all of the Old Testament up until this point, man has been using his eyes, seeing what he likes, following through with sin, and now what God is saying, no, look how many times you guys gone and messed up. Look at it. And what God says is, you can't see what a man's heart is, but I can. And friends, that should both equally thrill and terrify us. Because the all-powerful God of the universe, the universe that sp the God that spoke the universe into existence simply by saying, let there be that voice of the said, can see into your heart and judge your character based on what he finds there. And as a Christian who is regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit, we hope that when God looks at our heart, we find that he finds that just what he found in David at the beginning, a man after his own heart. But I challenge you, to maybe reflect and look at your own heart and see what you find there. Because whatever you find in your own heart, that's what God's going to find there. And so what we, what we look at then is David gets uh, anointed. The Bible describes him as a man with ruddy appearance. That means he's probably got blotches on his face. Maybe he's got some, uh, some pimple outbreak. So for the awkward teens, don't worry. David was just like that. 
and one day, one day he, he might grow out of it. I don't know. Uh, but, but David goes through, and, and we get to the story very quickly after of David slaying Goliath. And if you've been in church any uh, number of times, or if you've gone to Sunday school ever, you have heard the story of David slaying Goliath, right? There's, there's, uh, uh, it's one of those famous stories that's even used uh, out in the secular world to describe uh, uh, an underdog overcoming someone who should, uh, should clearly win. And so uh, this story of David slaying Goliath uh, is really quite interesting for a number of reasons. And so we're just going to sort of go through this story uh, just a little bit by little bit. Uh, and, and figure it out. And so what's happened is when you look at the story of David and Goliath, there are four principal characters in the entire story. There's God. Yes. There is David. There is Goliath. And then there are the Israelites. Can we all agree that's sort of like the four major uh, uh, stories proponents of this story. Saul is there as well, but he represents sort of the Israelite mentality. And so, so at the beginning of this, Saul has drawn up his battle plan according to the way he wants it to go. So all the Israelites are on one side of the valley, all the Philistines are on the other side of the valley, and Goliath, being their champion, has come down into the valley every single day for a long period of time and said, come and fight me. Guys, there, as Christians, there are going to be times when people are going to try and rile you up to get into a fight that you're not prepared to win because you haven't sought the face of God yet. And you think on your own strength you're going to be able to rush into that valley and kill the giant. But I can tell you that without properly seeking the face of God, which is something that Saul did not do, you're going to lose that fight. And so David uh, is off at this time. He's tending his, his uh, flock. All of his older brothers have been conscripted into the army. And his father, Jesse, says to David, hey, go take them a couple of sandwiches, maybe some Kool-Aid so they can, you know, rest, refresh, get, get whatever. And so David comes off to the army battle and he stands there just at the time that the Philistine Goliath is making his daily challenge. Come and fight me. Your God is weak and puny. Here's the next lesson. As a Christian, sometimes people are going to call your God weak and puny. And a lot of times it's very tempting to do what the Israelites did and just stand back and like sort of walk yourself into the corner, turn your back, maybe rub your ear. You know, that, that don't make eye contact and they won't bother me stance. Sometimes as Christians, it's very easy just to do that, to, to take that step backwards and say, well, God's all powerful. He can take care of himself. Oh, I'll just stand over here. It'll be fine. But David doesn't do that. David, as a true follower of God, says, hey, this can't stand. Is there no one here that's brave enough to go and fight him? And, and the Israelites reply, no, we're cowards. At least you can't, can't fault their honesty. They said, look, he's massive. He's like eight, nine feet tall. He's wearing massive armor. He's got a sword that if he swung it could probably take off three heads at once. We're not going over there. That's ridiculous. And David says, okay, I'll do it. David goes into the presence of King Saul, and Saul says, uh, wear my armor, my, my, my kingly armor. And so David tries to on this armor, and I have to imagine, uh, it's just got to look really ridiculous. Like, my, my dad was a preacher, and there was this one time he was preaching through the book of Ephesians, so he was doing the, the spiritual warfare, you know, put on the, the sword of truth and all, you know. And he'd bought this set of armor from a store, and he'd put it on me, and I was like this big, but it was made for a person who was this big. And he made me come out in front of the congregation wearing this plastic armor that was too big for me. Like, this is what I'm imagining, David. He's standing there going, this is utterly ridiculous. 
Because sometimes as Christians, what we do is we try and put our faith in things rather than God. And so what Saul was doing was saying, hey, if you go out there, God's not going to protect you here. Use this thing instead. And sometimes that thing is your relationships with other people. Sometimes it's your friends and family. Sometimes it's your co-workers. Sometimes it's, it's something that you put your faith in rather than putting your faith in the Almighty God. And what David says is, no, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill Goliath. And, and he goes out into the field. You know the story well. He gets the, the smooth stones from the river. He loads up his sling. He twirls it around. He hits Goliath right between the eyes and Goliath falls over dead. And everyone cheers. And, and here's what I find interesting about this story. Um, what we do as Christians is we try to insert ourselves into the biblical narrative. When we, when we look at people in the Bible, they become heroes to us, and we imagine ourselves as a character in the story, right? That's usually what we do when we read any good sort of book that draws us in. We start imagining ourselves as the central character. And so we, we previously mentioned that there are four characters in this story. There is David, Goliath, God, and the Israelites. If we were to really be honest with ourselves, we know that we're not the character of God in this story. We know we're not the character of Goliath in this story. And what we try and do is insert ourselves as the David in this story. We say, look, I'm David. I'm going to conquer my giants. How many times have you heard that preached or taught in Sunday school? You can conquer your giants. My problem is I think, I think Jesus is actually the David story, a David character in the story. And I think that sin and death is the Goliath character in the story, which means for us there's really only one character that we can be. It's actually the, the Israelites over in the corner cowering because we don't have enough faith. I think that can be really challenging for us. That as Christians, a lot of times we don't live in the full measure of blessing that we can simply because we do not exercise the faith that God gives us. Faith is like any other muscle in the body. If you don't exercise it, it's going to atrophy and die. If you don't exercise, we often think of faith as this thing that God has given us. Yeah, we've got faith and now we just sit in church and then we just let that faith sit by itself and we don't do anything with it. And if we do that, that faith is going to just die off. And so David uh, runs out, he kills Goliath, he chops off his head with his own sword and the, the passage of scripture that was read for us says that then the, the Israelites suddenly, miraculously found our courage. Now if you, if you follow the analogy through to the end, if Jesus is David, Goliath is, is sin, that, that Jesus conquers the sin where the Israelites, suddenly we found our courage when we understand what Jesus has done. Once we understand that sin and death has been defeated by Jesus, suddenly we realize we don't have the same things to fear anymore. Suddenly our faith takes a whole new meaning. It means that we can rush in to the battle that God has prepared for us and we can do what God wants us to do. And what the scripture tells us and the reason that I read for it is it said that the Philistines turned tail, they ran, and the Israelites followed them. And then after they had routed them, they turned back and they got the plunder of the Philistines. Look, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. In fact, I hate the prosperity gospel. But I will know this, God will take care of you. 
God's not going to give you a new Ferrari or a new house or, or the perfect this or the perfect that. He's not going to give you perfect health just because you're a Christian. He's not going to give you the things that you think you want or need. He's going to give you the things that you actually need. Here's how I know this. Every single one of you, did the sun come up this morning? Yeah, we need the sun. Are all of you breathing right now? That breath is a gift from God. He gives you what you need. He's not going to give you what you necessarily want. But I think sometimes if the Israelites had not pursued that, the Philistines into combat, they wouldn't have been able to return and get that blessing. I don't know. It's an interesting analogy. We follow the story of David. Uh, he gets into a, a little bit of a dust-up with Saul. Uh, we read that during the, the story on Saul that we did a couple of weeks ago that uh, people were saying, uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And you've got to imagine David, who'd already been thrown out a couple of times with a spear, was like standing next to King Saul going, mm, mm, don't do it, stop that. And Saul gets all mad. He starts chasing down David. Eventually Saul dies in battle along with his entire family and David becomes king. And David does some amazing things as king. Uh, One of my favorite stories is David dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, There's supposed to be a decorum about a king, right? They're supposed to act a certain way. They're supposed to be straight-laced. They're supposed to, you know, uh, show a certain air of authority and power. And David says, nah, God's presence is coming into this city. I need to be out there dancing where God is. I need to be dancing in front of him, filled with the joy of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes what we do as Christians is we let these bounds of society, man, if you do that, you're going to look stupid. Well, maybe I'm going to look stupid, but I'm going to look stupid for God. And sometimes we let that fear of, of really looking bad in front of people and we let it detract from the, the gifts and the blessings that God can give us. David, unfortunately, did not live his life perfectly. David, in fact, messed up uh, a couple of times. Uh, Most of us know the story of David and Bathsheba. He looked lustfully after a woman, decided to have her husband murdered so that he could marry her and take her into, into his household because she looked pretty. Something looking pretty is usually when men in particular, but all mankind, mess up. He made the same mistake that Samuel made when he anointed Saul. That looks good, I want, and I'm going to be led to sin. And so he messed up. And as a result, you have to remember that David had done a lot of work for God. He had cleared the kingdom of all the foreigners uh, that were there worshipping idols and the idolatry that was uh, pervasive in the nation of Israel. He had finally cleared everything out. He had gotten all the supplies to build the temple of God, the place where God's presence was going to permanently dwell with his people and when he gets starting uh, he gets ready to build it God comes to him and says no God uses an interesting phrase there's blood on your hands which you which when you think just at the top surface God's referring to all of the battles that that David had done but then that doesn't really make a lot of sense because all those battles were done through the power and strength of God what what's God referring to I believe that God's referring to Bathsheba's husband. There's innocent blood on your hands. And again and again and again, I'm going to stress this as much uh, as 
I possibly can. Sin has consequences. See, I believe that the grace of God is great enough that it is going to cover every single form of sin that we can think of, imagine, or do as long as we ask for forgiveness and, re- and, and we repent. I believe God's grace can cover that. But listen, even if the, your sins are forgiven, it doesn't mean that you're free from the consequences of those sins. Again, I slap Bart across the face, I'm probably going to jail for assault. He can forgive me. I can repent and be forgiven by God. I'm still going to jail for assault. Sin has consequences. David, who had innocent blood on his hands, not only couldn't build the temple, but God came to him and said, I'm going to split this kingdom after you, per- after you die. He said, your son is not going to sit on a throne for long. It's going to split. And we know from the history of the nation of Israel that in fact it did. That later on it became two divided kingdoms. There are consequences for our actions. So when we look at the life of David, you don't need to look far in Scripture um, to understand that he was a a troubled individual. Um, You can't read the Psalms without getting a little bit of feeling like David might be bipolar. Like on one page, God, you're, you're always with me. I can't flee from your presence. I, I go to the depths of the valleys. You're there. I go to the heights of the mountains. You're there. It's fantastic. And then you flip over to the next page and it says, God, I'm so far from your presence. I can't feel you anymore. And, and, and so he doesn't have this perfect life. We like to sort of build these biblical characters up on a pedestal and say, hey, look, perfection. I'm going to be like David. And what the biblical narrative tells us again and again and again, that if you're not doing that to anyone but Jesus, you're going to have a lot of misery in your life. If you're building anyone up other than Jesus, you're going to be doomed to failure. The only person, Scripture tells us, that lived a perfect life was Jesus Christ. And so we look at some of these biblical characters and we raise them up. But that's not the point. I believe the point of these characters is that God uses even flawed people, which makes me extremely happy because I can tell you I am an extremely flawed individual. And if God can use David, I believe that he can use me. And if God can use Saul, I believe he can use you. And if God can use Moses and Aaron, Aaron who, oh look, I put the gold in this fire and this calf just popped out. I'm not making that up. That's in the Bible. It's literally in Scripture. If God can use David, he can use Saul and Eli and Elijah, these guys who parts of their lives they followed God, other parts of their lives they messed up horrendously. Some murderers, some adulterers, some disobedient, some idolaters, some just plain up and up cowards. If God can use them, oh boy, can he use me. If I step out in faith, if I seek God's face, and I am filled with the Holy Spirit, I do not believe that there is any limitations to what we can accomplish. We can run into the valley with God at our backs, and we can slay the giant. I don't know if you're struggling with anything this morning or if there's any particular giants in your life that you need to rely on Jesus to slay. 
But if you would close your eyes with me as we pray. Join together in prayer. I don't know your heart. I know some of you. I know some of you better than others. I don't know your hearts. Only you and God does. What we know about sin is that we can hide it for a period of time from the outside world, but we can never hide it from God because he sees and knows all. So let's just take a couple of moments to reflect, to examine our hearts, and make sure that we're in a right place with God. Church isn't a magic wand that we can wave and make everything perfect so that when you leave this place, the rest of your life is going to be fantastic. It's not the the be-all and end-all of your Christian faith, but I guarantee that if you can get this right, you can enter in this week before we meet together again with the strength of the Holy Spirit. And friends, I can tell you, without the strength of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a rotten week. It's the only way that we can win the battles that God has for us to win. So let's just examine our hearts, quiet in our minds, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you've come into this place and you're with us today. Lord, I pray for everyone who has their eyes closed and their heads bowed, that you be with them that you help us examine our hearts to make sure that we are right before you so that we can go out into this world that is a dark place that desperately needs us to show people the light of the living God. Give us the power and the strength to fight the battles that you have for us, Lord, and the wisdom to know the difference between the battles you want us to fight and the battles that you don't. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite Bart up.